Steve Addison and you're listening to the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today I'm talking to David Bruderick about pioneering movements in urban settings. I began by asking David what he's learning about reaching cities. realized that certainly in our work, but I think in a wider context too, we were seeing remarkable movements of the gospel happen uh, around the world, but primarily in rural contexts, that there were certain dynamics, social dynamics that were breaking down movement and replication in cities. And so we began to ask ourselves, what, what causes that? What makes cities different? Uh, when you bring people together in high-density environments, social dynamics change. And so we, we began to study that and say, what is, what is different to the high-density urban environment um, that causes movements to break down? And it's a critical question for us because in 2050, 70% of the world will be urban. And currently, we still see missions as something that is rural. Uh, a missionary is someone who goes and sits in a mud hut in a village somewhere and not someone who sits in a coffee shop in the middle of the city. We struggle to see that as a mission. Yet, if we maintain that stance, then by 2050, um, what we're currently doing, everything that we're currently doing will be relevant to 30% of the world's population. And 70% will, will not be reached. So it's very critical that we begin to wrestle with what do movements in urban environments or movements in cities really look like. I got a hint of this the first time I sat down with a guy in Madagascar and he was planting in the villages, uh, really rural areas in, in western, sorry, eastern uh, Madagascar and he had a church in, this, in kind of a high density urban environment. And none of it was westernized, it was all third world and um, I asked him to describe to me the differences between the two. And he began to talk about his most successful church planters that were in the villages, in the in the forests, or the rainforests of Madagascar. And they sent them to the city mm-hmm. to go and reproduce what had been happening in the rainforests, where there are now thousands of churches, uh, multiple generations deep. And he told me the story, because everywhere in Africa, when you ask a question, they tell you a story. So he told me the story of these leaders, and, and they were walking to the city to... Um, Tanner, and as they walked, they were greeting everybody in every village. Where they'd reach a, reach a village, they'd get invited in. They'd talk to people. They'd sit and converse with people. But the closer they got to the city, the more they realised that people weren't greeting them anymore. People weren't talking to them. Okay. And as they got to the heart of the city, the thing that struck me was as they got to the heart of the city, he said, they no longer greeted anyone else on the road. So what what that spoke to me was that cities have a way of changing us. Mm. Um, It's not just that the city was different. It's that in one long walk, it had fundamentally changed the culture of those church planters. That they reached the city and conformed to the urban culture. They no longer greeted people on the street. And so there, there's, a, there's a deep sociological 
phenomena that happens in high-density environments that we have to understand if we want to see movements happen because movements are about social relationships. They're about transferring the gospel through social relationships. So if, if the dynamic in those relationships changes, we have to think about um, how does that affect movement. So we began to, to really wrestle with that and say what we were currently doing at that time was not enough to build dynamic um, rapidly multiplying and sustainable movements in cities. We were seeing a breakdown in the urban environment. So we had to we had to adapt. We had to make some changes. Okay, and and what sort of changes did you make? I, I think um, one thing that we realized is that the primary um, felt need in cities is social isolation. Um, it just broadly speaking, cities are very lonely places. They, they bring crowds of people together and then isolate them from one another. So community breaks down. Um, a, a lot of what we were doing at the time was based on the DBS, DMM model of church planting that assumed you could find a, a person of peace who would introduce you to a large community. And in mm-hmm. that community, you could get a discovery process going. Well, in the cities, one of the first hints that something was different was that we would train people and they'd go out and attempt this. But instead of finding communities, they were finding individuals. Mm-hmm. They were sitting and doing the discovery process with one person rather than a community or two people in a coffee shop, three people in a coffee shop. And those people were telling us, we don't have friends. We don't have people that lost people. were telling us, we don't have friends we can introduce you to but we really want to learn about this. Um, and this was, this was the norm. This wasn't the exception in, in all or, of our urban teams. Or if we do have friends, they're more acquaintances, you know, people we went to school with, maybe we're still working with people, we're still neighbours with people, but the ties between us are much weaker than they would have been in a, in a village or a rural setting. Precisely. The, the, yeah, the, the communal bond and, and leadership breaks down. Um, when we went to the villages, we, you could ask 20 people, take us to your leader, and they'd all take you to the same person. Mm. doesn't happen in cities. And so that, that kind of influence where a leader influences a whole community and the strength of that influence is strong enough to bring them together and have them uh, kind of learn or go through whatever experience the leader defines that they should go through, that all starts to break down. And um, so we have these, these networked relationships where we have some friends at work and we have some friends at school or we have some friends in our social circle. Uh, but they don't talk to each other. And so there are, there are a lot of dynamics that break down mm. in the social scene. So uh, as we began to realize that and realize that um, social isolation is the biggest felt need, um, we, we couldn't ignore the fact that instead of uh, identifying existing communities, we were really facing the challenge of having to create community to some degree. Um, that this was what people were struggling with and mm-hmm. they were drawn to it. Our first hint at that was we would start the discovery process with one or two people and we'd go down the road, the journey with them and 
as they came to faith in Christ, or even before they came to faith in Christ, they would come to a meeting and say, well, I've got something to tell you. And we'd say, what? And they'd say, we've joined a church. Mm-hmm. Meaning they've, they've gone to, to a church in the neighborhood somewhere. Now, I, ha- I have no problem feeding the local churches. The problem is that they pick up a DNA that is not movement. And so in joining that local church, we disciple them into a church, but we wouldn't see movement happen. We wouldn't see a replication happen mm-hmm. because they're now picking up a DNA that's contrary to what we were trying to instill in them. And in the beginning, I've got to admit, I got angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I got very angry. And I, I started asking myself, why are people, you know, in anger, I was ex- Expressing myself as why are people going back to dead religion? That mm, that was kind mm-hmm. of in my worst moment. That's what I was venting. Mm. And you know what is it about this dead religion that people want, where they got so much life in the discovery process? Why are they going to mm. this? You know. And as we started to work with people, talk to people, it was a long journey. Um, studied social dynamics. We realized that what was driving them to do that. Um, and break, almost break relationship with us and join a local church, even though we brought them to faith, um, was the cry for community. The fact that, that when as they became Christians, they started searching for other people like me. And when, when you say they cry for community, obviously they were getting community at one level, but it was quite a small group where they had community doing the discovery process. But... You mean community in a broader sense, in, in not, not just close with half a dozen people, but is that right, that it's a, it's a broader yeah, what, need in there? Part of what helped me in this, because um, I grew up in the, in the church context, the cell group context, even house church context, that defined community as a very small group of people. And as we began to look at social dynamics, we realized that uh, people don't feel a sense of belonging just with a couple of small, a small group of people, just a couple of people. They need various contexts to to feel a sense of belonging. Mm. So they need intimate relationships, they need personal relationships, they need a small group, they need extended family relationships, and they need to feel part of a bigger a bigger thing. Um, and so we weren't we weren't providing all of that. Mm-hmm. We were providing one or two friendships, but we weren't providing community. Um, that, that kind of larger extended family that I think is the, the thing that really breaks down in cities. Is it like being part of a village? Like being part of a village. Okay. So we, we moved to the city with our family. We've got a very tight, personal, intimate relationship with two, three, four people. We may play squash with one or two friends. And, but that, that's, those are close relationships. They aren't the mm. fullness of community. Um, what happens is we move to the city often for economic reasons and we leave our extended family behind in the villages. This Mm. is how slowly villages grow and urbanization takes place. And so um, we we miss that element of extended community, that bigger community where it's the families, the children, the the household, the oikos in the New Testament was, was probably that bigger community. It wasn't our nuclear family that we know today. Mm. It was probably the servants, it was probably the grandparents, it was the parents, it was the children, 
there was a bigger oikos or community that gave people a sense of belonging to something um, that fulfilled that need uh, for community. So what did you do to, um, to deal with that? I think we realized that in order to, to move towards church formation and not just be an evangelistic movement, but actually be an apostolic church planting movement, that we needed an extra step we hadn't considered before. In rural environments, we would walk in, find a person of peace. Uh, the next day, there would be 100 people in the discovery group. Mm. It was actually a pretty simple process. Mm-hmm. But when you go to the city and you've got one or two people in your discovery group and you get to the point of now we want to form a church, in the village it's fine. You've got 100 people in the discovery group that become church. It's very easy to perceive that. But if your discovery is two people in a coffee shop and you try to get that to become church, it's actually pretty hard. It's a, it's a bit of a stretch to see a fully functioning church and all of the functions of church take place with two people having coffee together. And so it, we had it, to take... It, under extreme circumstances, it is church. I mean, you could be in prison or a desert island, but what you're saying is it's, it's, it's not a fully functioning church and it may, may not be sustainable. Somebody, somebody moves away and you're left on your own or the group's... Correct. And there's yeah. lots of dynamics. You know, people come with families, with children. Um, they... they they do start asking, so where are the other children that interact mm. with my children? Where mm-hmm. are the other ladies that connect with my wife? Mm. Um, where's this bigger community that I can be part of that meet mm. all the needs of this nuclear family? Mm-hmm. And they, be, they begin a search for it. And if we weren't intentionally taking the step of building that, then um, we weren't going to see sustainability in the movement in the long term. Okay. And so uh, we restructured a bit and we said um, we're, gonna, we're going to define everything around community and togetherness, um, around team rather than individual leaders, around uh, slightly larger communities, and uh, we're going to do things together to, to kind of go against the culture of cities that drives towards individualism. And that's actually worked very well for us um, because it is the primary stronghold and the primary felt need in the city. Okay, so what did that look like when you did those things? So we we started off with discovery groups as the, our, almost our only structure for movement. And our ideal was to start a discovery group that would multiply various groups. These groups would become churches, but it was still the same group. It was really one structure. Um, over time, we realized that we, we needed to have more structures to see a healthy movement emerge. And so we start today um, with team. Um, I used to train people and see individual church planters go out. Today, we don't do that anymore. We start with team um, because community births community. And so teams go out, identify people of peace, and start multiple groups in urban environments that are often small and they're networked rather than community. And so they see multiple groups start and multiple generations of groups start. And so we have teams, we have groups, the two structures, and then we move towards what we've called uh, gatherings. 
uh, which is really just we, we don't want to use the word church because it's so loaded with baggage and every time we say church um, people kind of misunderstand what we're talking about so we went for an alternative translation to ecclesia which is gathering which we feel is pretty true to the original Greek and so um, we begin to form gatherings that are mid-sized usually 20 to 80 people Mm-hmm. And they're usually made up of several people of peace that become leaders in that gathering and uh, several groups that come together to form these gatherings. And so we've had to take the additional step of forming healthy gatherings in urban environments. The feeder for the gatherings are discovery groups of, of new believers. Correct. And in, in a New Testament sense... Um, are the discovery groups churches? Are the gatherings churches? Or is it both? Or neither? I mean, for, us, for us, church is a group of baptized believers. And so most of our groups are pre, pre-believers. Okay. So in that sense, we wouldn't define them as church. Mm-hmm. Um, they would become church when they come to Christ, and we, be, we take that additional step of forming healthy gatherings. Mm-hmm. So... So typically, it's going to be when the groups have transitioned from not just discovery, but their discipleship groups, and then they'll feed in. Now, let's assume they're disciples, they're baptized. So is the group church and the gathering church, or neither or both? Typically, once a gathering forms, the groups actually dissolve. Okay. And um, so they, they kind of merge into gathering. Okay. But the people in the gathering would be forming new groups with pre-believers. So um, they're still missional and going out. So what, what we've tried to stay away from is uh, a model of church that becomes burdensome to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your typical kind of church setting where you have your main church meeting and maybe your congregational church meeting and your cell group meetings and your men's meetings and your women's meetings and all that stuff. And your missional community meeting. You, you do all that kind of stuff, you, you're not going to be missional. You're not going to reach out. You're not going to, you're not going to send. So um, as they come to faith, they, they really have one structure that's church, not 10 or 20. Okay. And that is the gathering. That yep. is the place where they find community and they are church. Everything else is about being on mission. And so they have seven days a week to be on mission. We don't try and gather them, you know, right through the week for various meetings and keep them busy. Um, and Unless they're out looking for persons, houses of peace. Correct. And, working and with starting discovery. On mission, yeah. Starting discovery groups. And... In their area, then, if they see a dis- and the first the default is not to bring those people to the gathering, but to start a discovery group in their world. Is that right? Correct. And then, when they begin following Christ, when they're baptized, uh, are they folded into the gathering then, or do you start a new gathering? It depends on on affinity. So we, we train the teams to work within affinities. Any city has multiple affinities, or what some people call urban tribes. Mm-hmm. It's the way that we reorganize relationships in in urban settings. And so we move away from uh, common language. Often we move away from uh, common geography. We move away from common ethnicity. 
and we redefine community and cities to often common interest, common need, common cause. Mm. So we like the same things, we um, have the same problems, or we're fighting the same issues. And so a city is made up of multiple affinities. Mm. And some of these can be geographic, some of these can be ethnic, some of these can be common language. Others can be, we play squash together, we play uh, a sport together of some kind, uh, we like the same food, or uh, we go to the same places, uh, or we have the same problems. In where I live in South Africa, crime brings people mm-hmm. together, and they come from multiple backgrounds. So, one of the things that we do is we train our teams to identify these affinities, and where we find common affinities, that's where we're going to begin to bring people together into into gatherings. So, if new groups start in that affinity, it would be an option. Mm. to attach them to an existing group, uh, sorry, to an existing gathering. Okay. But if we're identifying a new affinity, they're not going to connect with this gathering, so then we're into starting a new gathering, into church planting. Okay. So those are the complexities mm. the teams deal with, and we train them through that. Mm. Um, so it's both and. It's not one or the other necessarily. It's, it's both of those are taking place all the time. And we've also got people walking straight into our gatherings. Mm. Um, and then we ask, is this potentially a person of peace where we can start a new group? Um, if that's so, does this person connect with the affinity of this gathering or do they not connect? If they connect with the affinity then, then, and they're a person of peace, then it could be them and their friends could belong to this gathering. If they come in and they don't belong to that affinity, that, that the primary mm. affinity of that gathering, then them and their friends could form a new gathering. So then we're into church planting. So... It kind of gets mm, quite yeah. complex, and, 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 and that's that, the problem yeah. with cities. They're, they're unbelievably complex. Yes, because you, you also have a, a distance factor, because people may seek out a gathering. We've seen this in one city in England, but they're travelling an hour and a half on the bus. They can't afford a car. And they'll do that because they're committed, but they won't reach their community that way. So we say, keep, keep coming as long as you want. But why don't we try and get something started in your local community? Correct. And so we would, we would look to form a new team. Mm. Um, we would then look to start multiple groups. We would then move them to what we call in our process a pre-gathering, mm-hmm. which is taking them through what church is, how does church function. They begin to experiment with, with gatherings that function very differently to most of the churches we grew up in. Mm. They're extremely community-based. They don't have powerful leaders. Um, they, they have very facilitative leadership, servant leadership. Um, and group leadership rather than just one individual. Yeah, so you'd walk into most of our gatherings you'd walk into and you could sit through an entire meeting and not really know who the leader is. Mm. But it's strongly led. It's not leaderless in any mm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's team-led, and there, there is very, very strong leadership that takes place. So if I did walk into a gathering, what, what, I, what would it be like? So we have four different things that we try and build our gatherings around, um, and they are worship. Uh, worship is not singing four song, fast songs and three slow songs like most churches. Um, worship... It, takes on many creative forms and it becomes cultural to the group of people that that are worshipping. So we, uh, as outsiders that are helping the gathering start, our um, role is to make sure worship happens. 
it's their role to figure out how worship happens. So we have various ways that we train them, uh, and they begin to form real creative expressions of worship. So with a, with a gathering of young people, that could mean that it could have a very urban expression. So they could be they could be doing rap, they could be doing break dancing as part of their worship. Um, it, it looks very different in, in different settings, uh, and it doesn't always involve music. Um, so worship is, is the one element that we look for, and we try and help them develop expressions of worship that are relevant to them. Um, community is extremely important for us, and so community is whatever builds the togetherness. And um, the New Testament example is that they ate together. Mm-hmm. But uh, eating together is one of the ways that community is built. There are other ways, like sport, mm-hmm. uh, like games, playing things together, doing things together. Um, even even going on short-term outreach can be yeah. community builder. Going mm-hmm. to an orphanage together. Um, for no long-term goal, but just a short-term, we're going to go and hug some kids can be a strong community builder. So we look at for aspects of community. How can we keep building togetherness? Because that's absolutely critical to seeing the body of Christ be healthy and, and form in a healthy way. Uh, the third aspect that we look for is nurture. And, and nurture for us is about the individual. Whereas mm-hmm. community is about the whole, nurture is about the individual. And what runs strongly through the nurture aspect is discovery Bible study. So disciple making runs strongly through there and in most gatherings um, they will meet probably every time, sometimes three out of four times, uh, they will be doing discovery Bible study together and um, nurturing the individual, but there are other aspects to nurture Hmm. like when someone in the community is sick uh, needs prayer there are marriage issues, all that kind of stuff, is all part of nurturing um, the individual in that community. And then the fourth, fourth element is, is reaching out, being a mission. And so um, that takes the form of the, that whole community, maybe being on mission, can be short-term mission, can be mission that impacts the city, but it's also sending teams out into new affinities to see new uh, movements start in new affinities. And so we recruit new teams out of those gatherings, and when that happens, they leave those gatherings and start in a new affinity. So those are the four elements of, of mm. um, gathering that we've arrived at to date. Now, that could change tomorrow, but, but this is pretty much how we've been functioning for the last two years. Okay, and I'm, I'm hearing echoes of John, John Wesley and the early Methodist movement. Has that been an influence? I, I think when I looked at the Wesleyan movement, one of the things that struck me early on was that Wesley understood a healthy, sustainable movement needs multiple structures to deal with multiple contexts. And so Wesley had his societies and his bands and classes. classes, Mm. And each one had a purpose. Well, he he also had, you're talking about teams, but he also had his itinerant, what he called itinerancy, which is more the uh, the apostolic, catalytic, uh, next next territory to enter function. Um, 
Correct, and I, I, I think all of that is critical. What I picked up from that was that it takes multiple structures to deal with multiple contexts, and um, I think sometimes we define one structure and we say this thing is going to save the world, and movements don't quite work that way. And so we form teams, groups, and gatherings to deal with three different contexts. Groups, for us, are about reaching pre-believers. That's the context, that's mm-hmm. the focus. Um, we want to fill them with pre-believers and they're on the road to baptism. That, mm-hmm. that is what they're about. Gatherings are about uh, discipling um, believers in community. Not, mm-hmm. not individually, but in community. So um, our gatherings are focused on believers. Although we have unbelievers walk in. Mm. And I think that's what we see in Scripture too. Mm. And then um, teams are about leadership development. So our teams are not really kind of the mature leaders or the elders. Anyone comes into the team at any point in time because we we create them as a leadership development environment. We're constantly growing and incubating new leaders in our teams. And so we're we're discipling pre-believers, we're discipling believers, and we're discipling leaders. That's basically what our three structures are doing. And each of those provides a context. And we give people... Uh, they opt in or out of those structures. Um, and so somebody can be involved in one of those, somebody can be involved in all three of those. Um, but the, the fullness of all three and the dynamics between the three give us sustainable living. Experience.